hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Welcome back, Queer Money listeners. We are finally back in the closet. That's where we record the Queer Money podcast. (laughs) So if you follow us on Instagram, you know that we have been doing some travel for work and for play, and we're finally getting back to recording some Queer Money episodes. So welcome back to the closet. So this week we have a unique show for you. We are taking some of the questions that are asked in the Queer Money Facebook group. If you're not familiar, we have a Facebook group, closed Facebook group that's dedicated to those of you who are looking to improve your finances. And we are taking some of the questions that get asked in that group and bringing them into the podcast. We know that there's a possibility that these may uh, be of interest to you as well. But before we get started, this podcast is sponsored by Mass Mutual. Every way we look out for the ones we love is an act of mutuality. Mass Mutual can help with the financial ones. And thank you, Mass Mutual. We have a special announcement today. We are kicking off the first of its kind, at least for us, Debt Freedom Coaching Course that starts Monday, October 15th. We're taking applications now and only have space for 15 people, so you want to apply soon. Applicant Applications are being accepted only until the end of day, October 10th, 2018. We'll let those who are accepted know by Friday, October 12th, if they are approved. This is a five-week course with video tutorials, practical exercises, and the best part is you'll get one-on-one coaching with David and me, as well as uh, live group calls with David and me and the other applicants. This is um, a great course. We've received a lot of feedback from you over the years. You've taken several surveys of ours, and people have been asking for this kind of information, so we want to make sure we give you what you're looking for. Um, There is a one-time special fee of $97, but that's just so that you have as much motivation in this as we do. So if you're interested in taking this one-time course, please go to www.debtfreeguys.com forward slash one, two, three to apply now. Let's get started. All righty. So the first question is, um, we're going to read you the whole question that we've received, uh, and we're not going to give you names for privacy's sake. The first question is, I've been thinking a lot lately about how I will give back to my community. I'm 31, and I'm beginning to realize my own capacity to help others now that debt is going away and have a comfortable savings level for my retirement. As I start to look at local nonprofits, I'm overwhelmed. There's just a lot out there. There's a huge amount of need in the queer community and the trans community especially. The nonprofits requesting assistance seem to be everywhere. When you when you decided to start giving back, did you pick one nonprofit to support? Did you pick several? Many to support many uh, to support seem to be lower level. Do you start your own nonprofit? Where do you begin? So that was a great question, and David and I have a lot of opinions about it. (laughs) (laughs) We certainly do, and I I think that that's the reason why we have so many opinions about it is because we were at the same point when we were digging ourselves out of debt, and we were getting close to to being debt-free, and we started to uh, look at that third goal of ours. Remember, if you've been listening, you, you remember that when we were digging ourselves out of debt, we said that our goals were to be have a comfortable and safe retirement, to be able to travel more, and to be able to give back to our community. And so we were at that point, too, where we wanted to give back to our community, and we started to look around and say, how can we do this? There were some activities that we were doing before while we were paying off our debt to be able to give back our time because that's one of the things we could afford at the time when we were paying off our debt. So uh, 
first of all, I will say for, for those of you who are digging yourselves out of debt still right now, focus on some financial goals. Giving of your time is also vitally important. We actually just did an article on Forbes uh, for the Trevor Project, and that's one of the things we highlighted in there is that giving back of your time is, is very important. But giving back of your money is also important as well, but sometimes it's hard to figure out exactly where to put that. So we went through kind of a little bit of a process of, of asking ourselves what of the LGBT-focused uh, charities are out there, especially in the Denver area, but also nationally, which ones seem to be hitting the points that are important to us? Which ones are giving back to the community in the manner that we wanted to see them give back to the community? And one that we picked out in particular, especially in Denver, was uh, the, was Project Angel Heart. And the reason we picked Project Angel Heart was twofold. One, we saw the good work that they were doing. Both John and I had participated in various activities with uh, Project Angel Heart while we were at work, but also then on our own, that's where we were giving our time. So we we already saw this organization. We saw what they were doing both inside and outside of, uh, of their facility, the way that they were helping the community, and we recognized that they were doing a great job at serving the people that they intended to serve. They were focused on that small niche audience, the individuals who, who needed food because they were dealing with some sort of terminal illness. And that was what they were dedicated to. They didn't go into the political arena. They didn't go off into all sorts of other areas. They were focused on one particular thing. And that meant that they could become really, really good at that. And we appreciated that. Yeah, they were also very efficient with how they spent their money. I mean, a lot of, um, what was the percentage of money that went towards um, the actual creation of food and getting it out to people? 86% of donations that they received were being spent on delivering food, creating the food, paying for the cost of the food to, to deliver to these individuals. And the reason they were able to do that is because so many individuals volunteered their time at this particular organization. They did not have high overhead costs. They were not paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to have the organization run. They, were actually, they had a lot of volunteers and a very small core staff that was paid. And we appreciated that because there is such an opportunity for the money then to be delivered or the money to go to helping the people they intended to help. So I think the takeaway there then is to have a very clear understanding of what the organization does, how they're actually helping the community, and being very secure in that their stated mission is their actual mission. And then on top of that, making sure that the organization is spending a larger percentage of its money actually going to the people it's try they're trying to help as opposed to paying for executives and other people's salaries, which is sometimes necessary but can sometimes uh, feel like it's not being as efficient as it could be. And if you're unfamiliar with whether or not an organization you're looking at, uh, what their level of uh, money that they receive is actually going to help the individuals, ask them. Ask them if they, are, if they know that percentage. What percentage of the money that you receive goes to help the in these individuals? If they're not able to provide you with a percentage, ask them if they can give you last year's expenditures. Tell, ask them to tell you where that money is going. They should, every year, their, their board has to report what, where the money is going, and that is something that they can give you. That's something that should be public. And I'll add that 
we know these organizations. We know the people that are, sit on the board. We've been to several events with these people. So we're able to communicate with them. And it wouldn't be completely out of the norm for us to walk into Project Angel Heart and meet with somebody. They would be somewhat familiar with us. Um, and I think that's very important to make sure that you stay engaged with the organization so that they stay on track with what their goals are and that you stay familiar with what their, their, their ongoing mission is. David and I give to about three uh, nonprofits overall, and we have that sort of understanding and relationship with, with each of those. Um, we're not going to talk about each one of them right. and create a very long podcast, but it's just that kind of thought process. So figure out what's most important to you. How can you actually get connected with an organization? There are organizations, as this question alludes to, everywhere. Um, it's almost daunting how many organizations that there are, but find the ones that connect with you, engage with them, and then if you're only able to give you your time right now, that is fabulous. These organizations need as much time as they need money. And you don't want to create two problems trying to solve one problem. And the, se the second problem being putting yourself in financial strains because you're trying to donate so much money away. Um, so donate of your time first. And then when you have the flexibility with your, your budget, then start donating your time and your money. Right. I think that's a, an important point that uh, John brings out here is w what we did is that we got to know these organizations. So get to know the organization before you donate to them. And one of the best ways to do that is to actually go and volunteer. You get to see what's going on on the inside as well as the outside of the organization. All right. So now we're going to just mention a quick word from our sponsor. If like us, you are getting to that time in your life when you're starting to think about the financial ways of protecting your loved ones, Mass Mutual can help. So the next question actually comes from David and me. If you're part of the Queer Money Facebook group, you'll know that we throw in some poll questions every now and then. One, just so we keep a pulse on how the group is doing. Two, so that we can stay educated. And three, every now and then we ask some fun questions just to get, just to, get to know everybody a little bit better. So this particular poll question actually is a great segue into our next question. How much money do you spend on average each week dining out? David and I were preparing some uh, content for a, a future uh, seminar we're working on, and we wanted to just get a, a litmus test, take a litmus test of what our community is, uh, how they're spending money with dining out. Um, and we were kind of surprised. Um, the numbers uh, I thought would be a little bit lower than what they were, personally. Um, you know, David and I probably spend about 51 to $75 on average a week dining out. Um, David loves Chipotle, <laughs> so <laughs> that's not typically expensive. I love Garbanzos, and very often we'll, we'll, we'll uh, uh, share those meals that we get there because they can be quite big. Um, so we're not, I guess, on par with everybody else. The most common or the, the largest uh, bucket that people spend is anywhere from 0 to $50. So that was actually quite surprising. I thought I wasn't expecting any 16 people to respond to that low of an amount. Um, the second largest was 51 to 75. That's where David and I fall in. But then we had uh, eight people respond that they spend anywhere from 101 to $150 a week dining out. That just surprises me. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know where they live, and I don't know what kind of food they're looking, and I don't or that they're getting, and I don't know what their budget is. Um, but that to me, that just is a little bit surprising. It, I guess it is a little surprising, but then remember, we've recently conducted studies with both Experian and with HoneyFi. We've mentioned those on the podcast, and what was a, a reminder to us is that dining out is one of the largest expenditures of the LGBTQ community when we're looking at our non-necessities. So dining out can be a uh, can take a big chunk out of our budget. And I guess that the reason why we wanted to ask this question is we wanted to kind of validate that with the, the individuals that we're helping in the group become uh, more financially secure. Uh, those help individuals pay off. 
their debt. It also is a great way for us to look at what's going on in our community and just remind ourselves that uh, that there is this wide range of what individuals spend. And if there's a way that you can just knock 5 or $10 off of that each week, you're going to be saving anywhere from $20 to $40 a month. That's anywhere from 250 to 500 dollars a year that would be you would be able to use to benefit yourself financially whether that's paying off debt or accumulating money for some other reason well and to that point i think we should maybe share something that we learned recently it a, a couple years ago groupon was a very popular app that everyone was using i was seeing people sharing information on facebook and Every time we would go out and do something, somebody would have a Groupon for something or other. And uh, we stopped using it ourselves uh, and only recently re-engaged with it. And David found out some fabulous information. It's become much easier to use than uh, it was before. Right. I think that for many of us, there's a little bit of a cringe when we think about using a coupon, right? I don't think that going through the grocery line, many of us have a problem throwing down a coupon there. But when you're sitting at a table, especially if you're on a date with someone, a date with someone new, uh, you have a little bit of that uh, hesitancy to want to appear as to be cheap. And uh, unfortunately, that's what the the mentality a number of people have when it comes to using a coupon or a Groupon. The nice thing, though, is Groupon has upgraded. So now when you go in and you claim an offer in Groupon, you have entered in your debit card or your credit card information and what happens is once you validate that or they validate that you have made that purchase so you use it at that restaurant that restaurant refunds it back to your debit or credit card so there's no appearance of actually having used a Groupon which I think is great because then it's in a sense it's a little bit of a secret uh, your date doesn't know <laughs> that you are actually getting anywhere from 10 to 50 percent back on that dining out experience. Um, but the other thing is it be- can become a habit for you to check in there and just see what's available in Groupon for your dining out or other services you might be looking at. And I love that idea because I personally, I felt like some of the waiters or restaurant owners were a little bit indignant that we were using the Groupon. And then I would always wonder, well, why did you put it out there if you didn't want us to use it? So right. you can kind of avoid that. So we'll provide that link in the show notes at the same uh, location where you can apply for the debt coaching course that kicks off next week at www.debtfreeguys.com forward slash one, two, three. So our next question, um, this is a biggie. It's about tipping. (laughs) Someone in the Facebook group, the Queer Money Facebook group says, I wonder what the consensus is in this group on tipping. When eating out for dinner, I happily do what is expected and tip 20%. But what if, for example, I go to a counter to get my $10 soba salad and there's a tip cup there? I budgeted about $10 lunch, but I all of a sudden find myself stuck between a rock and a hard place because I want to stick to my budget, but I also want to appear, I don't don't want to appear cheap to the cashier. What do I do? So this is, um, this is a, 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 a hot topic for me. I do get a little bit frustrated that everywhere you go now, there's a tip jar everywhere. Um, and very often there's a tip jar when people aren't really actually providing a service. Um, maybe I'm a little bit old school, but I, I was a waiter. I was a bartender. I, I've, I've dealt with that kind of environment. I, I'm advocate for, for tipping in the, in the U.S. anyway. Um, but I do uh, get a little bit frustrated that everywhere you go nowadays, there's a tip jar. And um, I don't, this person's not really providing a service. So do I, do I, David, do I have to tip that person that does not provide me a service? <laughs> 
Well, I, I guess it really depends. What is the service that's being provided? Uh, so we've taken a look at a number of different services, and we kind of want to just share our thoughts on on some of these services. I, I tend to agree with John that I think that there are sometimes, I mean, if somebody is grabbing a soda off a shelf and handing it to me with a cup of ice, uh, not much of a service provided there. Whereas if you're making me uh, a lunch or a, a cup of coffee, I think that then there are some opportunities there to definitely up your level of service, and so I would uh, would go ahead and tip. So let's talk about some of these, John. How about, uh, let's see here, sit down. Now, it's very common that when you go to a sit-down restaurant for you to tip, and many of us know that, especially here in the United States, that individuals who work in restaurants do not make a living wage uh, as a waiter uh, or as a bartender. So there is, in a sense, a little bit of an obligation to tip here because you are helping this individual uh, get to that living wage. So we generally encourage individuals to tip between 15 and 20 percent. Uh, and uh, the, the reason why we do that is because we, we definitely understand that this person is working and this is a part of the service that they're providing. The other thing is, is you want to remember that there are other people in the restaurant that are that are providing you a service, such as the host or hostess, uh, bartenders, uh, sometimes uh, kitchen staff. These individuals don't get tips, and what typically what happens is maybe the waiter or the bartender may share those tips with those individuals. So they may feel an obligation to pay them uh, or provide them with a tip. Then we should also be providing the frontline or the individual at the beginning of the process for us, that waiter or waitress, we should be providing them with that. Exactly. And likewise, I I think that uh, David and I typically tip between 15 and 20 percent for food that's delivered to us. Um, To me, that's a huge service. Not only is someone at the restaurant preparing it, but then someone is uh, delivering that to us. Uh, There are, we still order food from from places that take orders directly. They don't typically require uh, or ask for a tip up front so we'll we'll do that on the back end Uh, there are i have noticed recently that uh, grubhub and other sites now are uh, including suggestions for an amount to tip Um, there is a local pizza place that won't accept your order unless you prepay a specific tip amount (laughs) so that that might you might start seeing that becoming uh, more of a requirement however like i said Somebody is definitely providing a service there. They're bringing it to your door or bringing it to your office, your home. Um, so definitely uh, we would advocate that you tip uh, 15 to 20%. But, of course, um, the ultimate decision is up to you. Right. Now let's take a look at takeout. So you're actually the one who's going over and picking up the, the food item. So here we definitely think that you're handling part of the service yourself, so the tip should probably be minimal here. Uh, although we do encourage sometimes a little bit of a tip uh, because there is still some of that staff there, whether it's the individual who is uh, handing you the food or, this, or the kitchen staff. Some of them may not be earning a full living wage, so we would encourage you to tip a small amount. Typically, we're looking at anywhere from about 1% to 5% here. Exactly. And then um, a very, very important service is the person who makes your coffee and your drink. (laughs) (laughs) This is very important. Um, Typically, uh, and I've always done this, uh, no one's ever questioned me about it. I don't know if it's it's a norm. Um, I've never asked anyone, but I typically tip between a dollar to two dollars per drink. So very often I'll order, uh, when I'm ordering I'm ordering for both David and me. I'll get uh, two coffees, and then I'll tip two to four dollars, uh, depending upon what cash I have on me, or um, depending upon how uh, exceptional the service was that day. The same is is my 
process for when I'm ordering a cocktail or wine at a bar. I'll typically tip as well uh, between one or two dollars. You and I have never talked about this. Do you, what do you tip? I'm about usually typically the same. You know, if if we're when we're at the bar and I order two drinks for us, it's typically two dollars. Uh, and uh, when I'm at the coffee shop, typically the same. It's two dollars for two drinks. Uh, now, it, what what's interesting is that may mean that um, on some of those you may be getting way more than a twenty percent tip. Uh, I and I personally have been in line where someone doesn't tip, and so I kind of oftentimes feel like. Here's an opportunity for for me personally to catch up somebody on on not tipping. And another thing to keep in mind too, if you're at a packed club or a packed bar, and you know that you're going to be getting several rounds of drinks or uh, even just a couple drinks for yourself throughout the night, and you don't want to have to wait in line, when you do finally get in the front of the line and you do order your first drink, you might want to tip a little bit extra and then continue to go back to the same bartender so that maybe you can get a little bit more expeditious service going forward. That doesn't always happen, it's, but it's uh, it's been a worthwhile strategy for me. <laughs> but that's not necessarily about saving money. That's just about getting efficient cocktails. <laughs> All right. So what about bad service, John? What happens when you're not getting the service that you want? So as a bartender or waiter, there were several times that I didn't get tipped. I wasn't the best bartender or waiter, uh, but I, I think I held my own. Um, and everybody got their food on time and quite warm. But anyway, um, I'm a huge advocate for not tipping zero dollars. I've only ever not tipped um, nothing. I've only ever tipped nothing one time. Um, that was for exceptionally bad service. Um, other than that, if I get bad service, I'll tip between 5 to 15%. Um, and, of course, I'll let the waiter, uh, or the, the wait person or the uh, manager know my frustration. Uh, I won't just tip without low, low without actually providing an explanation. Yeah, and I think it's also important to remember that sometimes bad service doesn't necessarily mean it's the person you're interacting with. You, know, you may be getting poor service. The food is uh, not coming out in, at the speed at which you had expected. So it actually could be the kitchen. It could be someone else that's causing that, not the, not your waiter. Now, hopefully they will explain <laughs> so that you do have a little bit of understanding as to why things are delayed or why the service isn't great. But if you feel it's important, go ahead and ask. Ask, is there a reason why this is taking so long? Uh, they may be comfortable telling you, and it also may alert them to the fact that they're not doing a great job if it is their, if it is, uh, their fault. Exactly. Sometimes just things happen. And if you let the staff know that you're not happy, maybe they can make amends with you and you don't have to worry about providing a bad tip and be scared about going into that same restaurant down the road. <laughs> and then we've got foreign countries. So David and I just traveled uh, quite extensively. We were in four different countries. Um, and I'll say as an American who's grown up being conditioned that tipping is proper, it's, it's, it's hard to not tip when you're not... In your own country, there are, you know, in, in Spain and in other countries, people are paid a, a much better wage to be a server or be a bartender than they are in the United States, and there is not the expectation that you tip them. Um, but as an American, it's hard not to tip them. And there are some locations, restaurants, and bars that understand that and they play off of that. So David and I would tip when we felt like it was an exceptionally great service. Uh, towards the end of our trip, we stopped tipping as much simply because I think we became more acclimated to the environment. Um, but just know that in most countries outside the United States, um, tipping isn't necessarily normal, at least for uh, getting food and drinks. 
Um, so be aware of that going into another country and then be prepared to tip how you want to. And don't be afraid to not tip because in many cases it's not the expectation to do so. Right. Do your research. Find out what the norm is in that country. TripAdvisor is a, a great resource for this kind of information. You can uh, find out what other individuals are saying uh, when they visit those countries as well. All right. So uh, just to, um, to close, to learn more about our sponsor, MassMutual, or to find out find an advisor, go ahead and visit MassMutual.com. Thank you for listening to another episode of Queer Money. want to let you know again about our special announcement. Starting Monday, October 15th, we're doing a limited-time exclusive offer coaching course with a maximum of 15 people. And this is a debt freedom course. So we will walk you through the steps to become debt-free from credit card debt. Um, this is going to include... Uh, one-on-one coaching with David and me, group calls with David and me, and the rest of the applicants. It's going to have an extra private Facebook group so you can ask your questions throughout the week. Uh, It's going to have tutorials. It's going to have practical exercises. Everything that you need to pay off your credit card debt and become credit card debt-free. So don't forget to go to www.debtfreeguys.com forward slash 123 to apply today because space is limited. Thank you, and we'll see you next week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.